0: Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and again we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. In talking about the Kingdom of God, uh, we're going to look at Exodus uh, 13. We've done Exodus 12, but we're going to do a little bit of a review. We're going to talk about a little bit of what's in the news today and what's going on in life because there really isn't any point in understanding exodus understanding history unless we apply it to the now and the now is where we're at Uh, someone on Facebook was complaining about that they noticed that more in society is turning back to God uh, the more it uh, disconnects from God uh, given the nature and conscience of man that we get into more and more trouble. And, uh, he listed off a bunch of things that he thought that, that we're normalizing, the immorality that we're normalizing, like, uh, normalizing sexual immorality and, uh, shamelessness of sin and sexualization of, uh, girls and women, uh, you could add boys and children in that, uh, money, uh, becoming the king, antisocial behavior, divorce rates, uh, gone off, uh, off the roof, Broken families uh, is the new norm. Uh, A lot of this is coming about uh, of those items because of sexual revolution. But why did the sexual revolution come about? He talks about children dishonoring their parents. And, of course, that was foretold that children would dishonor their parents. And why would that be? Uh, Jesus talks about that. The corbin of the Pharisees caused the people to do no more aught for their parents. And, of course, what were we supposed to do for our parents? We were to honor our father and our mother. Well, to honor them meant to fatten. We talked about that using that word uh, that we see. Uh, there are three words, but one in particular that were used to say that the heart of the, heart, uh, of the Pharaoh was hardened. It actually meant increased and fattened. His anger and his resentment was magnified because of some of the things that Moses said and the way he said them and the things that he demanded. And the Pharaoh just dug in his heels and would not let the people go from this bondage of Egypt that the people had gone into. Some people call it slavery slavery. Uh, I've seen historians say that slavery never really existed uh, to a large degree in Egypt because of the fact that they had a system of corvi. And corvi, some would say, that's slavery. Corvi is where a portion of your labor belongs to somebody else. You, you can keep 80% of it, but 20% of it you had to give to the government of Pharaoh. That's a system of corvi. Corvi is a French word that has to do with statutory labor. So if, if you don't have a right to 20% of your labor, you're back in the bondage of Egypt. There were a few more elements to that. You didn't really own your property. It was given to you. You didn't, you know, back when Abraham was given land by somebody for a burial crypt because he owned no land. So he had no place to be buried. They said, well, we'll give you this land. And he says, no, I have to buy it. And he paid out. they, They count out this substantive coin or silver or whatever it was to purchase the land. But the land given to the Israelites by Pharaoh through Joseph was just given to them. So was it given entirely? Did they own it? No, by common law, by natural law, they didn't own it. They owned it by permission. It was given to them by the grace of Pharaoh and not necessarily entirely. And, of course, later on when they finally come out of Egypt, they are given gold and silver and other commodities and they're given them that literally Philos talks about it, given them in entirety, so they would actually own that, so that's reversing this process of bondage now, as we talked about earlier in our study of Exodus, Moses was the legitimate Pharaoh of Egypt, the guy who was there, depending on what time this all took place, and we discussed that there Valakoski has a particular time he thinks it took place based on when he thinks there was you know cataclysmic action uh, explosions volcanoes etc and other people have times and we kind of think that to some degree uh, David Rowe has a pretty good grasp on that time but it's just not exactly clear. Uh, when that time was I think the modern Egyptologist is way off and we there, you know we mentioned a, a movie you know uh, you know Patterns of Evidence that kind of explores this and gives some very interesting bits and pieces that may shift that time of the Exodus which if it does if they are correct now all of a sudden we have evidence that these plagues did take place that there was somebody who led a large number of people out there excavating Avaris, which is in the area we know of as Goshen, and all that, whether or not, but you can go back and listen to those recordings and find out if that is all true. But this fellow who was mentioning all these changes that we're seeing, the divorce rate and the sexualization of children and children dishonoring their parents and... Uh, We no longer have the time for each other. Our elderly have become a burden instead of a treasure, which is, again, back to that dishonoring our parents. We're not taking care of our parents. We're not providing for our parents. And, of course, that was part of the Ten Commandments. Honor thy father and thy mother, which means to fatten, to take care of, so that your days will be long upon the land because your children will see you do that take care of your parents and they will see that as a thing to do to take care of their parents which is you so if you want to be taken care of by your children you better let them see you taking care of your parents and uh, I always remember the story I've told this before of the, uh, the uh, this couple when they were first courting they he would go over and eat at her parents house to get to know her she didn't go out on dates and didn't go to you know the bar that's not where she met him and uh, but he wanted to get to know her so they invited him over and they would have meals and then when they were done with the meal she would be helping her mother clean up and he would say well I'll help you do the dishes and he would go in there and then the mother would find an excuse to go out and sit with the father and they had this time alone to talk while they were doing the dishes in her, what would be his father-in-law's house someday. And, uh, when they finally got married and they had children, they had this custom, this practice of sending the kids out to play or do their homework or whatever. And they would go into the kitchen alone, this time alone, where they would sit and talk about the events during the day and talk to each other while they did the dishes together. And the crux of the story is that when the boy, one of the little boys, when he's like six or seven years old, was asked what he wanted to do when he grew up, he said, I want to do the dishes. <laughs> Which is, he, it was something that, you know, his parents went off and did, and he wasn't allowed to be a part of it, so now he wants to be a part of it because it was out of his reach. And you can see this in primitive societies that the young men stay a period of time with their mothers and with the family, and they do things around them, and then all of a sudden they get to a certain age, and some cultures it's seven, some cultures it's 14 or 12. And then, then they can go out with the men. But they are kept from that for a period of time so that it's something they can look forward to. And they want to do it. And so it's a, it's a part of the psychology of mankind that certain things are done a certain way in order to produce a psychological effect. Sexual revolutions break down the family. They, they allow you, you say, well, I'm not married, so I'm going to play the field. And because you play the field, you're cheating on your spouse to be. You, you're not married yet. You haven't made that commitment, but you're not even willing to wait to make that commitment. And so it creates a pattern of reaction and psychology or psychosis or whatever. So that it will affect your marriage because you've, you did not wait. You did not look forward to it. People have asked me for counseling concerning getting married and I, I in one case or actually a couple of cases I can think of where one of the party was in debt and the other one was not in debt and they wanted to get married. I said, get out of debt first. And uh one was credit card debt. And the other one was, uh actually, I think there was one that was student loans. I think most of them were like credit card debt. It wasn't like they were buying a house where you have an asset and you have um, property. But it's like credit card debt or even maybe paying off a vehicle, which lost its value when you drove it off the lot. <laughs> so they were in debt. So my recommendation was, to pay off that debt first and to work to pay off that debt. And I said, you can even work together to pay off that debt. But before you get married, before you move in together, pay off that debt and and then get married. And that that would have set a precedent in their mind to get the debt paid off before they were allowed to enjoy the fruits of becoming married. It would have set a precedent in their mind. I can't guarantee that it would have all worked out, but in every single case (laughs) that they did not wait, they had financial trouble for the rest of their married life, as far as I can remember from the people that I've, I've talked to. So... You know when I suggested those things, I wasn't trying to make it life difficult for them. I could see that life was going to be difficult that's not doesn't require a crystal ball. Life is often difficult, but to get out of debt, the effort to get out of debt that the energy that would it be expended to get out of debt would facilitate the relationship that they were going to have in their marriage it wouldn't be the only thing obviously like i said if if they're playing the field before they get married that's going to affect that's going to have a pay, play a role in how they stay together now you can overcome all these things with forgiveness but now when we go back to israel was in bondage for 400 years approximately 400 years they didn't know how to be free so they were going to have to learn certain skills in order to become free and to stay free. And one of those skills was to not be in debt, not be indebted to the Pharaoh. Not not depend upon the straw and the benefits of Pharaoh. You have to remember, they went into the bondage of Egypt because... They needed the benefits of Pharaoh, and he put it to them, well, you don't have any more money, you don't have any more, you know, property or, you know, livestock anymore, and you still need more food. So if you agree to give me 20% of your labor to come, so that's debt, I will give you food today. And that's how they went into the bondage. Some people say, well, God, made them go into bondage. Well, no, they made themselves go into bondage because the one guy that God sent in their midst, it could have told them that there was a famine coming. They sold him into bondage. So one of the laws of nature and nature's God is repeated over and over again in the Bible, is as you judge, so shall ye be judged. As you as you treat others, so shall ye be treated. If you bite one another, you will be devoured. So, understanding this cause and effect universe, whoever created it, that I, I listened to an atheist who wants me on uh, his podcast, and that was one of the things, you know, like he, he doesn't believe that there's a God. He's kind of agnostic, atheist. He, he says, I can't say there isn't a god i just can't see the evidence of it well i understand that because god is spiritual and he doesn't believe he's ever seen anything spiritual and so that that brings up a whole question but we'll save it for his program if i do go on it but uh um, and we'll let you know if you're on the network we'll let you know uh, if i go on that and you can you you can watch it whatever i have no idea what will come of it <laughs> But join the network and you'll get those notices uh, so that you can see those things. Become a part of the Living Network and you'll even get more notices. I mean, I heard today, uh, we heard it on the news just before the show started, the Chinese are floating a balloon over the United States. <laughs> you think, okay, a balloon, what is, what is that? Because we have weather balloons that come down here from time to time. And... uh and sometimes they've had, you know, little, uh, devices on them and you can call up and, and, uh, they have a number and you can call that number and sometimes they'll, they'll send you a mailer so you can mail it back to them. Sometimes we just get the balloon. <laughs> but anyway, but this is a pretty big balloon. I guess the payload is like two school buses in size. Well, that could be, you know, uh, an EMP that could, Shut down power and communications in the United States. It could be, and some people are suggesting it's a spy satellite. Well, you all heard about that in the news. We know there is stuff going on. They don't tell you in the news, and how are you going to know about it? They not. They don't tell you in the in, in the government. They don't tell you in the news. They don't tell you in. You may not even find it on Google uh, because we know they censor. But I have seen spiritual things. And, uh, I'm not gonna tell everybody if, if God tells me something that I'm gonna, is supposed to share with the general public, I'll share it with the general public. But if He tells me something that I should share with the network, I will share it with the network. If He tells me something I should share with the living network, I will share it with the living network. Well, what's the living network? That's the people that have decided they care about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves. And they are going to get together either, you know, by phone or by going over to their house or whatever. They're going to get together in a pattern of tens, hundreds and thousands. We'll see in Exodus, I think in 13, that there was a pattern when they were leaving Egypt. We know there was a pattern developing when they had Passover. They're going to bring everybody into their house that will, so they have enough people in their house to eat a lamb. And they're going to share it with the neighbor nearest them. They're not going to share it with somebody on the other side of Goshen. They're going to invite in the nearest neighbors so that they can eat this lamb together in one night. This is all, all these rituals and ceremonies have a purpose to bring people together. And we will see that it is a memorial so you can pass it down what you learned in this process of becoming free people, of being captives and being set free you will be able to pass down with the stories that Moses is writing in the Bible. But if you don't understand some of the elements of the story, you may not understand the story. And one of those elements we talked about last week, which was leaven, and and we talked about what uh, Prager, Dennis Prager, uh, part of Jordan Peterson's uh, look at Exodus. What he thought leaven was or why it was leaven. And other people had their little input. But we told you last week what leaven really was all about. And it's easily discovered. I mean, everybody can get a concordance and look it up. Look up what words are there. Look up the original, you know, early Hebrew text. We talked about that too. I'm using the Masoretic because it's tied to the King James But we can go back to more ancient forms of the Hebrew. Back to Paleo-Hebrew or Proto-Hebrew. And we will find the evidence of the same thing in the same words. Such as the word that we have for leaven. Same with the word circumcision. And same with a lot of the different words that we bring out of the Old Testament. Like Corban and bring into the New Testament. Because we see the word Corban in the New Testament. And of course Corban... ...means sacrifice, and the sacrifice of the Pharisees was making the Word of God the none effect. In this cause-and-effect universe, that's kind of a bad thing, because it's the Word of God that giveth life. And if it's not the Word of God, then you're not going to have life. And of course, if we take that all the way back to the story in Genesis of the Garden of Eden, which is this place we call the Garden of Eden and that place had two trees that God put there and some people complain about well why did he put that tree of knowledge there if we weren't supposed to eat of it well you could sit in its shade Uh, you could maybe climb around in its branches (laughs) of course we're talking about a metaphor here but The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that that that's pretty much your brain. (laughs) And, And God gave you a brain. But he gave you a physical brain, you know, with dendrites and connections and everything. Which if you kind of drew a picture, you know, you've seen the little pictures of the inside of a person, their nervous system kind of looks like a tree. You know, double-trunk tree. You know, two legs go up in this tree and goes up into your head. Well, that's the tree of knowledge. That's, you know, you can look out and you can look in a test tube and you can look in a microscope and you can look in a telescope and you can accumulate knowledge, all kinds of information. But that knowledge won't necessarily tell you what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. It won't, because you can't get all the knowledge. You can get some, you can explore it, and you can try to reason your way to the truth, and you might find some truth, but all truth? No, I don't, you're just not that smart. I'm not that smart. I know a lot of people that are smart, smarter than me, and they're not that smart. So, so God gave us another tree, which we call, He calls the tree of life. And the tree of life can tell you what is good and evil and what is right and wrong. But, because it's, it's the source. If, now, how do we define good and evil? Good gives you life, <laughs> you know, and evil takes life away or reduces life. So good gives life, evil reduces life. So the tree of life gives life. So you have the choice of eating of one, if you eat of the other, You may be cut off from the first. But anyway, we'll have to continue this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And, uh, we're looking at, uh, while well, we were looking at, uh, these listed off things that, uh, someone saw that was taking such a toll on the world. And he says that, uh, that we needed to be concerned about this because it affected our eternal life, uh, which depended upon the fact that we need to be engaged in repentance. Well, most of the people that deal with some of these things, the, the sexual perversions and the immoralities and the dishonoring of parents and all these things, they don't really understand the context of them, but they try to overcome them. I mean, like Ted Bundy uh would constantly feel terrible after he had done one of his terrible deeds, but then he would go back and do it again. And this is, you know, like the alcoholic who... Who keeps going back to alcohol. And he has to break that cycle somehow. And of course, the people of Israel, if they did not learn the lessons of freedom, the lessons needed in order to be free, they would just go back into bondage again. And we will see them headed back to bondage over and over again as we continue through Exodus. Uh, Their faith is... You know they see miracles they they've been saved when they saw Egyptians suffering greatly uh Egyptians were saved when they followed the the suggestions that Moses was giving the people and uh they actually left with the israelites the egypt there were Egyptians who actually went with them and probably other nationalities as well that were also living in Egypt. They went with Moses because they saw these things. Moses seemed to know when something was going to happen. And he knew what to do about it ahead of time. And how to prepare for it. And how to to make our communities immune to the disaster that was coming. The plagues that were coming. For whatever reason. Because like we said, most of those plagues were natural events. That occur for other reasons. And that's what kind of Velikovsky is saying. But how did... How did Moses know that these were going to happen? How did he know that these things were going to take place? And why why was his timing so perfect? Because he had a spiritual insight into what was going to happen. And he had that spiritual insight because he went to a spiritual God and said, well, this is what I said and this is what I did, confessing what he did and what he said to this spiritual God wherever he's at doing this we don't we we know he didn't run back out all the way to the burning bush uh there was no mention of the burning bush wandering around inside of Egypt but he would go back to God and he would come up with more instructions from God and since God is spirit and spirit giveth life and the letter killeth you know, these are, these are the th- phrases that we see. We get a perspective or we could get a perspective on how the universe works in relationship to its physical existence and its spiritual existence. So what is its spiritual existence? What is God? Well, ancients refer to their, you know, ancient philosophers... Uh, Aristotle and others have referred to God as the unmoved mover. That they see the universe is in motion, they said something set it in motion. And because we live in a cause and effect universe, so if you go back to this cause this and this caused that and that was caused by this before, and eventually you get back to what began the causation was it something in this universe <laughs> or is it everything we know is being created in this universe was this universe created and they give that job to the unmoved mover we call him god in ancient hindu religions they they call him something else or uh but the reality is you know we well, we won't go off on that tangent but you know, who started the Hindu religion? Who were the fathers of that? Well, one of the things that we see in this time frame thing that we've talked about earlier is that the time of Moses and the Exodus go back farther than modern Egyptologists think it does, which takes the flood back farther than than many archaeologists and uh, geologists think it was but then of course when we saw Mount St. Helens we see trees down at the bottom of Spirit Lake that's interesting (laughs) Uh, Spirit Lake that was up on Mount St. Helens are almost completely petrified already they are turning to stone already being the the organic material is being replaced by calcium deposits and other mineral deposits because there were so many minerals down in that lake And that was, you know, virtually a very short period of time of eruptions. There could be even bigger eruptions if uh, what the Indians called grandfather were to erupt. Which would be in Mount Rainier. Because that's a volcano. If Mount Rainier were to erupt again, you would have massive floods and ash. And where there were lakes, there would be all kinds of trees going into that. And they would be turning to petrified trees within 50 to 100 years, but you can go up on mountains in Montana and you see these petrified trees and they say, well, this process took millions and millions of years. But we know that processes that normally we would have thought if you went to geology school, I went and took geology courses with the University of Southern California, and You know, we would go out in the field and they would show us different things and they would say, well, this took millions and millions of years to form these layers. You can go up to where Mount St. Helens erupted and you will find the same layers created in a matter of hours. Not millions of years, but in a matter of hours. And if you were a geologist and you just walked upon them, you know, uh, years ago now, And you saw them, you would say, based on my understanding of geology and geomorphology, these rock layers took millions of years to form, yet we know they took place in a matter of hours, actually creating rock in with layers and then cutting through the rock. (laughs) And it all happened within a matter of, you know, a few days at the most. And uh, it's still going on to some degree. I mean, the rock formations aren't being made all the time, but the original explosion created all kinds of areas that are like solid rock with layers and layers. And the layers are folded in some places. And if you looked at that, based on what they've been teaching for a 100 years in geology school, you would say, well, uh, that took millions of years to form. (laughs) So anyway... We have a perspective when we look back at the Bible, you know, uh what, what did God how did God make the world? Well God is spirit. And if you don't see things spiritually, you you may not think God is spirit, you may think something else, but cause and effect, something created it. So that creation is actually ongoing in our day to day life, which is why Moses is going to teach you the song of Moses and Christ was teaching you the song of the Lamb because if you sing those songs, and we're not actually talking about a tune, we're talking about a harmony, that you will benefit from it. If you don't sing the song, you will obviously not benefit from it. If there's a light in your room and you don't turn it on, you will remain in the dark. If you turn it on, you will see the light. (laughs) <laughs> That's just, it, it's that simple. So, all these bad things that this individual was talking about that our eternal life is supposedly dependent upon, what is the real problem? If we just try to stop this thing that we're doing that would be called bad or wicked or sin, we often find it almost impossible to stop. We keep going back. We might stop for a while, but then we might go back. And you might be able to stop some of them, but then there's others, etc. Well, almost all of these problems that he's listing off that have really magnified a great deal, they've always been around because mankind is always at different levels, different groups of people are at different levels of growth and, and degeneration. And we've talked about what degenerates a society and what, according to philosophers, you know, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, uh, two thousand years ago, what degenerates a society is covetous practices. Well, that's really good. A covetous practice where, where because of your desire for benefits and, and the desire to receive them at the expense of your neighbor or the next door neighbor, the next nation over or whatever, because you want to receive those benefits at their expense, that's coveting your neighbor's goods. And it's the covetous practices that bring you into bondage. That's how the Israelites went into bondage. They coveted their brother's position in the family. He had this higher position in the family. The coat of many colors. His father was entrusting him with this position. And they were jealous of that. And they coveted that. And they they just decided to get rid of their brother. Fortunately, they didn't kill them because then they would all be dead now based on this law of cause and effect. As you judge, so shall you be judged. But it's the covetous practices that has brought them into bondage. It is the covetous practices that we were told by Peter would make us merchandise, bring us into bondage, entangle us again in the yoke of bondage. It would even curse our children. And so Moses is going to try to teach the people practices that are not based on covetousness. They're different practices. When they were in the bondage of Egypt, they depended upon the Corbin or the benefits of Pharaoh. Now they weren't going to get those benefits of Pharaoh. They were cut off from those benefits of Pharaoh, but they still had to pay their tally of bricks. So, If they had a need for benefits, they had to get them somewhere else. They had to get their straw somewhere else. And they had to work together to do it. And they had to, as all work requires sacrifice. You know, sometimes you see the sacrifice required for work dripping off the end of your nose. Or at least running down your forehead. (laughs) Uh, or you'll feel it when you you come home and sit down and then try to move again. You say like, "What happened to my muscles?" Well, you sacrificed them. <laughs> that's what you did. You worked, and now, but to sacrifice for others—that's what Corbin is all about. It's sacrificing for your family, for your neighbors, and for your neighbor's family. But the Corbin of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. It was still sacrifice. But it wasn't based upon love. It wasn't based upon choice. It was based upon the force of Herod and the Gabai and Molokai officers of Herod who would go by and make sure you gave your fair share. And it's that covetous practice is... That has set us up for all these other symptoms, which are just symptoms of the disease of covetousness. Of desiring to take a bite out of your neighbor through men who exercise authority. You have built a city of blood. I have numerous articles, uh cities of blood, that you can... You read on this subject. We have articles on Corbin. You can read on this subject. Well, Pharaoh's Egypt was cruel. It was grievous. City of blood. Where they were in this bondage and it got worse and worse and worse. Now, they were to come out and there was this talk of leaven. And leaven not only has to do with yeast... But it also has to do with cruelty and grievousness and violence. Well, getting the yeast out of their house and out of their hearts was about doing something that isn't based on forcing your neighbors to contribute to your welfare, through a legal system, through Pharaoh, etc., but through your heart, through free will offerings. And this is what Moses is going to be teaching the people. Now, it may not be all what you're taught when you, or what you read when you read the Bible. You see, because the author, the Bible itself is not inspired. The Bible's a book. It's just sitting there. You can't inspire a book. It's just pages. The authors were inspired. And they wrote things down. The translators, some of them might have been inspired, some of them might not have been inspired. (laughs) And some of the authors of the Bible might have been more inspired than other authors of the Bible. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not judge. I don't, I wouldn't want to judge them. That would be setting me up. But I would suspect that that's possible because even Moses, someone said that Moses Saw the face of God. Well, through a little cleft in the rock, he could <laughs> He didn't see it, you know, like face to face, shake his hand, and yeah, how, howdy, God. No, he, he could just look at it a little bit. And many of the people who who were writing, were receiving a revelation that the Spirit was speaking to them in their hearts and their minds, and they were writing it down on paper, and that became. Part of the Bible. And there's a message in in all those books. And there are people trying to distort those messages all the time. But the message is really, really very simple. Love God who gives life, gives choice, and love thy neighbor as thyself. It, don't use force and violence. Don't do it with force and violence. Do it with love. So Somebody also asked me a question. And uh they said, Brother Gregory, I have a question concerning the left and right hand. He says, uh, and he, 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 and I gave him a response. And then he mentions Zebedee, uh, the sons of Zebedee, uh, mentioned it, and why did Jesus acknowledge it in His kingdom? Well, he did, they were asking for the position to sit at the left or right hand of government. You know, one on the left hand, one on the right hand of government. But Jesus said it's not his to give. Why isn't it his to give? Who did who gets it? Well, it it is supposed to be in your left hand and your right hand because <laughs> ye also are gods. Jesus said ye also are gods. But you're not supposed to be gods to each other. You're supposed to be deciding what to do with your left hand and what to do with your right hand. Now if you decide well it's probably because you're eating of the tree of life because the tree of life's going to tell you it 's going to show you it's going to manifest to you what what you should be doing with your left hand what you should be doing with your right hand if you're going to eat of the tree of knowledge you're probably going to screw up because you you can't get enough knowledge to figure everything out like do you know what's up in those two buses that are going over in the block <laughs> Do you you know what's going to come of that? Should we be afraid? You know, that's that's another thing. In the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, it tells you not to be afraid. Fear not. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. But if you're going to eat at the tree of knowledge, fear is going to come about. Uh, I'm not going to tell you to be afraid because that May stifle you in getting over to the right tree, which is the tree of life, but, uh, you should be eating of the tree of life. But anyway, he, he talked about in and it's a personal request he talked about in Mexico, uh, during the time of President, uh, Moreno Garcia in 1860. His presidency tried to end liberalism and use the state as a distributor of ties to the church. And other state welfare programs. He says, was this contrary to the policy of not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? Well, if, if all the people in Mexico were really seeking the kingdom of God, Moreno Garcia wouldn't have had his hand in as the right hand of government or the left hand of government. <laughs> The left and right hand of government would be in the hands of the people. You don't need any president who is exercising authority one over the other. There are presidents in Christian congregations, which are free assemblies. If you go back to the first and second century, they refer to somebody as the president of a meeting, a gathering. But he wasn't an executive officer telling the people what to do. He was the executive officer who decided what to do with what the people freely chose to give him. Cause he was a stone of the altar and of that particular gathering. And there might, if it's a big enough gathering, there are probably several stones there. Stones of the altar. When you have to go back and study the altars to find out what the stones of the altar were, because they were always living men. That the the rocks that became stones of altars were just to represent those men. <laughs> so the the reality is is that the right hand and left hand of government should be in the hands of the heads of each individual family, and they those families come together. And they form altars of clay. And they can elect altars of stone. They can't hew those stones. They can't regulate those stones. And whatever they give those stones has to be freely given. But the power of executive authority of the government remains with the people except over those things the people freely give away. That's freedom. Everybody else is probably in some form of captivity. Anyway, so both the left and right hand should be in the hands of the people. And even people, you know, which is why Lady Godiva is the picture on the Free Church Report. Yeah, that's who that gal is. That's Lady Godiva. (laughs) And that makes a lot of people curious as to, what's that book look like? (laughs) Why have Lady Godiva on the Free Church Report? Because she saw that... The charity had to be voluntary. You could not have government taxation providing the welfare of the people. David knew this. Uh, Paul knew this. Paul quotes David, what should have been for your welfare has become a snare. Why? Because you turned it over to the government. You put the government in charge of your welfare. That's a covetous practice because now you're going to men who exercise authority one over the other to take care of the needy of your society. Take care of the needy of your society, that was the definition of religion 100 years ago, 150 years ago, 200 years ago. Religion was how you took care of the needy 2000 years ago. Pure religion is taking care of the needy, the widows and orphans of your society unspotted by the world unspotted by what world the constitutional order and system of government because that's what that word world means and this is why Jesus says in Matthew 20 20 then came to him the mother of Zebedee children with her sons worshipping him and desiring certain things of him and he said unto her what wilt thou she said saith unto him, Grant that these two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. He, He doesn't give it. God gives it. If you actually believe in God. If you actually go the way of God. And he he talks about a cup that has to be drank from. And, of course, he's talking about his sacrifice and the sacrifice of the individuals who may sit on the right-hand and left-hand side of God's government, but actually eating of the tree of life and obediently subjecting themselves to this spirit that gives life. But Jesus goes on just shortly after his response to the mother of Zebedee, when he heard they they were moved uh, with indignation against these two brethren, Jesus called them unto him, and he said something very specific. And we'll look at that when we return to the keys of the kingdom, and then we'll get right into Exodus 13. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about what the kingdom is, how the kingdom works, and why Moses was trying to impart to these slaves for hundreds of years these people in a statutory system of bondage where a portion of their labor belonged to the Pharaoh. Uh, someone actually said that they couldn't leave. They actually could leave. Uh, They probably would have to sneak out at night as an individual. But if they're going to leave together, uh, they can leave together. And, uh, I mean, Moses left. Nobody dragged Moses back. And uh, he was in an area that was still under jurisdiction of the Egyptians. But they didn't seem to go get him and drag him back. Why didn't they go get them and drag them back? (laughs) And if you got to jump one of those ships that came and hauled grain away, and you got on one of those ships and went to some other part of, you know, the Mediterranean, how would they get you back? How How would they drag you back? They wouldn't. Uh, You you were actually free because you got outside of their jurisdiction. I mean, that happened all the time during the American period of slavery. If you were in the South and you were a slave... Uh, you could, you could get up north. Uh, my great great grandfather smuggled slaves in the Underground Railroad and was kicked out of the Quaker church. But then he was let back into with a bunch of other Quakers who did believe in the Underground Railroad. And, uh, they were called the Schism Quakers. And so he became a Schism Quaker. <laughs> and, uh, And uh, eventually they let him back in after the Civil War was over. But, uh, I mean, his great-grandfather was kicked out of the Quaker church because he joined the Virginia Regiment. So, so we've been kicked out of churches one after another for centuries now. (laughs) But... uh, the the fact is you have to go according to your conscience, but uh, your conscience needs to be plugged into that tree of life, to that spiritual reality that shows you what is right and wrong without climbing around in the tree of knowledge. You, you could have knowledge, and certainly I have a certain amount of knowledge that allows me to read and look up words and everything, but I couldn't look up all this stuff if something wasn't guiding me and saying, well, look here. Look here. You know, the same process of trying to find water in the ground, you know, divining water in the ground. Should I drill my well over here? Should I drill my well over here? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, like I said, I have a well on one side of me that's 17 gallons a minute. A, a well... uh Over the other direction, that's about 28 gallons a minute, 30 gallons a minute. But I told him, drill drill my well right here. I had a spot, one foot, circle spot. I actually marked it with a cow pie, so you know how big a cow pie is. And I said, drill right there. And he drilled right there, and he says, we went through a crack in the ground, and we got 900 gallons. (laughs) So how did I know to do that? How did I know who to marry? Uh, how, how do I know what job to take and what job not to take? Uh, well, I could, I could make an educated guess by logic, but I've seen, I've seen uh, things that I have to make decisions on that I had no knowledge of, and I go off the leading of the Holy Spirit, and it guides me. When I'm lost at sea, when I'm lost in the Canadian North Woods, I say, well. I think I got to go this way. Come right out where I need to go. But it's actually what—it's not really where should I go. I'm asking like Moses goes to God and asks God. Now a lot of people can say they're doing that. Are they doing that? Are things working out for them? Well, maybe that's evidence that they're not really asking the real God. <laughs> they're not really eating of the real tree of the of life. The tree of the spirit. They're eating of a tree that they've constructed in their minds with doctrines and dogmas given to them by men. And so I come along and I say, you know those doctrines you got? uh, That ain't what it says. Now, why do I attack their delusion? So that they actually turn around and seek the tree of life. And I show them ways in which they could do it. And this is what Moses is going to be doing, showing them ways to do it. This is what Jesus is doing. Here you got these: the the mother of the Zebedee boys is saying, "We want to be rulers in your kingdom." My son here on the left, and my other son here on the right, and they thought that was a good idea because that's pretty much what the Pharisees have been doing. Ananias had been put putting one son after another in the position of high priest he had five sons and he put this one in and then he put this one in and then he put this one in and he was all out of sons and he still needed to put another one in and you know he put in his son-in-law Caiaphas (laughs) he put him in but that's not the way Christ's kingdom worked Christ isn't going to put anybody in those positions Jesus isn't, well maybe Christ is, but Jesus isn't. Now what do I mean by that? Well Christ means the anointed. Anointed by who? Anointed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus the man, he's not gonna do that. Moses isn't gonna do that. Moses wants God to do it, and Moses knows, Jeremiah knows, Ezekiel knows, Paul knows, Jesus knows. God's got to put you in those positions and he will give you the power of those positions. But you you won't have the power like Saul, the power that drives men mad. So what did Jesus say after he sees these guys all upset about these two brethren trying to take this position of power? Because they're a little jealous. They want that position too. At least somewhat they want it. But Jesus says, "Call." he actually called them unto him and he said... Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. You know, like Herod, like Pharaoh, like Biden, like Trump. These are they exercise they're even called the chief executive officer of the United States. So they exercise authority. But in verse 26 he says, but it shall not be so among you. Now, he's a, he's gonna appoint unto them a kingdom in a verse, cause this is, you'll find this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is basically the same statement. But whoever will be great amongst you, let him be your minister. Why? Because it's not supposed to be exercising authority one over the other. And whoever will be chief amongst you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to give his life a ransom for many. But then that, that man that you're going to let be your leader, he's going to be your minister, your servant. That's actually what the word there in the Greek means, your servant. Because he's going to give up his liberty and freedom to serve you. He's going to sacrifice his position as leader and and even, you could say, ruler. He's not going to rule over you. Same principle you see with Gideon. Same principle you see with Moses. That he's not he doesn't want to rule over you. He wants you to connect with God, the spiritual God, the spirit of God, and that will guide you. Now, that you may not always know the reason, but that God is reasonable that God is rational. God didn't make the flood. the flood was coming the flood God knew God had already had his satellites out no, I'm just kidding God- God knew. That something was going to cause a massive flooding and uh, extinction of lots and lots of people and animals and everything. And so he tried to tell the people and he tried to tell them to Noah. Noah, listen. Noah built a boat. And he, he tried to tell other people, but they didn't want to listen. They wanted to keep eating of the tree of knowledge. We don't see any flood coming. We don't see any clouds coming. We don't see any trouble coming. You know, Pharaoh, I don't see any trouble. I don't believe in your God. I don't know your God. I don't see any plagues coming. The plagues were coming. And they're coming again. Because <laughs> we haven't learned those lessons. But anyway, quick reference to some of the things that we talked about before, like Matthew sixteen eleven. How is it that you do not understand that I spake? It uh, Not to you concerning bread that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees of the Sadducees. What was wrong with their doctrine? It was based on force, forcing the contributions of the people in a system set up by Herod and the Pharisees. And so this is really the same thing that Moses is talking about when he's talking about leaven because the same word leaven that we see the, that represents the yeast in a sourdough bread also represents violence and cruelty and grievousness. That you're getting the leaven out Of your bread means you have to go to operating by faith, hope, and charity, not force, fear, and fealty, which is what legal charity does, which is why Lady Godiva said, no, we can't take care of the needy by legal charity, by forced charity, which is why Alexis Tocqueville said it, why Polybius said it, why Plutarch said it, why so many people have said it, and it should be obvious for you. So I, I saw in my notes here, I have the leaven of Constantine, the leaven of Ambrose, and the boys of the creed. I refer to them as the boys of the creed. We'll talk about them at another time. So doing this sacrifice of a whole lamb was to bring the people together to start them to think a different way. And one of the things that Jordan Peterson was talking about as he was going through Exodus was, the sacrifice must include blood, and you know I've seen people say, you know, so why why do people have to sacrifice a, a dove, a, a, a turtle, and a dove? It's actually a turtle dove, is what it it means. The same word in the Hebrew for turtle dove means a piece of your estate. You have to actually give up something of substance when you have to make one of these sacrifices. And now where does that sacrifice go? Is it burned up? No. It takes care of the other people. And it becomes that sacrifice where you give a token, you know, to the poor. Because this is what Corbin was for, is to take care of the needy of society and pure religion. This is what the Levites were doing when they were serving the tabernacles of the people. This is what the altars of stone were doing. They were taking care of the needy of your society to create the social bonds of a free society And that sacrifice is your sweat, your toil, your blood, things that you produced. You had to give it up to God by giving it up to take care of the neighbors and serve the tabernacles of the people, of the congregations of the people. This was a system operating by faith, hope, and charity. And that word Corban draws you near because it's from a word that means draw you near. But it has to be free will offerings. And this is what Moses is going to be teaching you. This is part of the tune of the Song of Moses that you need to learn. And if you do it any other way, you will suffer the consequences of doing it those other ways. So anyway, let's get right into 13 because I don't know if I'll have enough time if I don't get right into doing it. (laughs) So so anyway, the uh, this uh, Exodus 13... Uh, I, the first heading is Consecration of the Firstborn. And I went through a, a lot of that and a little bit of a review because leavened bread is going to come up. Sacrifice is going to come up. Redemption is going to come up. And so we need to know what all these things mean in relationship to what. But you have to understand Moses is now going to be talking about the government of God rather than the government of Pharaoh. Because the Bible is mostly about government. Mentions religion four times. Now, it has a lot of stuff in it about religion because it has a lot of stuff in it about how you take care of the needy of society. And that's what religion was. Pure religion is doing it without using force and violence. Without using men who exercise authority. Because Christ forbid us to do it that way. We're not supposed to pray to the men who exercise authority one over the other. You know, to give me bread, give me welfare, give me... uh You know, gifts, gratuities, and benefits. Even Plutarch, a Roman pagan, knew that the guy who gives you gifts, gratuities, and benefits is is the greatest destroyer of liberty. Moses is going to teach you how to become free. Well, he's going to say, well, you're going to have to get your gifts, gratuities, and benefits from somebody other than the people who exercise authority. They've already got a taste of this during the plagues. You're going to get a taste of it during the plagues that are coming. But if you start coming together, you'll start learning the lessons of liberty. You'll start setting in motion the spirit in your society that leads to freedom. Because you're not free now. You're all back in the bondage of Egypt. So the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn Whatsoever openeth the womb amongst among the children of Israel, both man and of beast, it is mine. Wow. So what does this sanctify mean? <laughs> it means uh, to set apart. I, I heard people saying, "Oh, yeah, you know, holy means this and holy means that," and and no, it just means consecrate or set apart or dedicate. That the firstborn is supposed to be dedicated to life, not just his own life, but the life of others. The like he's supposed to love his neighbor, and be the facilitator of that love for the rest of the family, for the the second born, the third born, the fourth born, the fifth born. Now, man and of beast. Now, we can go and look at that word beast, and there may be a couple of different meanings to it, but we'll just we'll just take it as animals, because it seems to be talking about animals later on. But uh, it could actually mean more than just animals. But like I said, we'll look at that at another time. So how do you set that aside to serve God? Well, you sacrifice it. Why sacrificing now? And now, if you think sacrificing an animal is about piling up stones, slitting the throat of a goat or a sheep, and setting it on fire and burning it up so that the smoke goes up to heaven, you need to go back and study our articles on altars of stone and clay and find out what the altars really were, because they always were about how to take care of the needy around you. The community nearest you. That's always what the sacrifices were all about. The, the sheep were to be sacrificed and eaten and shared with others. It wasn't just to be burned up. I know you have that picture in your head, but that's why I wrote a whole book, Thy like Kingdom Come, <laughs> and uh, articles like Sacrifice of Sof- Through Sophistry. Uh, but you'll just have to go read that because we don't have time for it right now. It's verse three, and Moses said unto the people, "Remember this day, in which ye came out from Egypt, which is actually the house of bondage. Out of the house of bondage, he has a word there that it actually, as as a verb, could mean servant, could be manservant, bond, bondsman, bondage, bondservant." You were a bond servant. You were in that system of corvi, where a portion of your labor belonged to the gods of Pharaoh. In other words, Pharaoh is going to collect that 20%, and he's going to redistribute that wealth according to his decision, because he is the god of that redistribution. That's That's how he operates. He is the god of that redistribution. For by strength of the hand, of hand, the Lord, Yahweh, Yadavah, the existing one, this unmoved mover, this God that is built in to the law of nature, he is the God of nature and the law of nature, brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. Now he actually says leavened bread be eaten. I, or Again, Why are you doing that? So that you remember this day. This is just the ritual. No leavened bread is to be eaten to help you remember this day. It goes on, this day came ye out in the month of Abib. And it shall be when the Lord, Yadavai, shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites. And the Jebusites, which we he swear unto thy fathers to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep this service in this month. Again, why? This is the ritual so that you remember how you got out of bondage. You should also remember how you got into bondage. Jealousy and envy of your brother. Selling your brother into bondage so that you wouldn't have your brother in this position. So he goes on now. This is all so that you remember. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread. In the seventh day shalt be a feast to the Lord Which again is the existing one. This force, this unmoved mover who is already built into the law of nature all around you and will, if you violate that law of nature, consequences will take place. Now those consequences we call, you know, bondage. Could be, that's what took place with them. It could also be what we call the wrath of God. The wrath of God is the consequences of going against the law of nature, and nature's God. People think that, well, I just need to be rational and reason. But the law of nature is synonymous with the right reason. And if you understand how the law of nature works, I mean, if you jump off a building, 40-story building, for 39 stories, you're like falling. <laughs> you're like flying with style. Right? But you're falling with style. But when you hit the sidewalk. So, what killed you? Did gravity kill you? Did the law of nature kill you? You chose to jump off. I guess you killed yourself. It wasn't, don't blame it on nature. Don't blame it on the law of nature. If you sell your brother into slavery, you'll go into slavery. If you take away the rights of your neighbor, your rights will be taken away. If you covet your neighbor's, if you bite your neighbor, you're going to end up being devoured. Because you got a lot more neighbors. If they all bite you, there's nothing left. (laughs) So anyway, seven. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall no leavened bread be seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. Now, if you know the Hebrew word for leaven is actually a word that can also mean cruel, and also can mean grievous, can also mean violent, then you would make the connection in this ritual that you should not have any violence or cruelty or grievousness in your quarters, in your house. Right? You'd make that connection. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, this is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. This is why we're doing this, to remind us of how we were in the bondage of Egypt and how we came out of the bondage of Egypt. Because the first question the kid's going to ask, well, why were you in the bondage of Egypt? (laughs) Well, you got to tell them that too. But this day is about telling you how you got out. That you actually listen to the messenger of the Lord, who said, you know, bad things are going to come, and you're going to have to fill each other's water vases, and even give water to the Egyptians round about you who will come to your house and and get water. You have to take care of them. You have to be kind to them. And and you know when you you're going out to get your animals out of the field because the hail is coming, and and you're going to put them where they'll be safer. So they don't get killed in the field. You, you you could tell the Egyptians, you know, Moses said we got to get the animals out of the field because there's hail coming. Because his satellite saw the hails, you know, up in the... No, he didn't have a satellite. Oh, he had the Holy Spirit. That's right. Now, some people don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Ah, okay. Well, you drill your well wherever you want to drill it. <laughs> that's okay with me. I'm drilling it where God told me to drill <laughs> So, anyway. So... And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thy hand and for a memorial between thine eyes. Now I have some footnotes there so you can look up those words, but let's get through this and then we may come back and why is he talking about your forehead and your eyes? What is, do you, are you supposed to put unleavened bread on your forehead? What is he, what's he talking about? But anyway, and the Lord's law and I have a footnote there. What? word does he uh, use there? It's translated law in the King James. May be in thy mouth. Okay. Now he wants his law in your mouth. <laughs> what? What's his law that it's going to be in your mouth? You know what? What's he talking about here? Well, what words is he actually is he actually saying when he when he makes these statements about the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. So again, why are we doing this? It's still for a Memorial. This is still for a memorial. But he uses this word sh- uh, ordinance, which is also translated statute and custom and a lot of things. But we'll look at this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So in this first nine, we, we saw that... Uh, He says that the Lord's law or direction, that actually is the word Torah, may be in thy mouth for with a strong hand has the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. So the Lord is this existing one, this unmoved mover, the spirit that is actually flowing through all of nature. It is the God of nature. It is the pattern that we see in this cause and effect universe. And Moses in this story form, in, in, in this, the story that came to life is trying to show you how this works. And he will constantly go back to this. And you will see words like law. You'll see words like ordinance and you'll see words like statute, like we see the word ordinance in the King James verse 10. Thou shalt keep this ordinance, but that word ordinance is not the same word that we see Torah translated into law. It's, it's a different word that is translated here, ordinance, and other places it's translated differently and we have a whole study on that so you can go look at that study but the idea is that the statutes of moses are not necessarily the laws of god even jesus said you know moses gave you these rules on divorce but he only gave them to you because of the hardness of your heart it wasn't that way from the beginning it wasn't meant to be that way from the beginning from the beginning This law of nature and nature's God is like gravity. It's automatic. It's built into creation. God isn't, I'm going to send a thunderbolt down there and hit those guys. You know, I'm going to send them hail. The existing one says that this is coming, and this is what you need to do to change it. Did Did bad things come because you did bad things? No bad things are coming whether you do bad things or not. But if you listen to the Holy Spirit, you'll know what bad things are coming and you can prepare for it. You can build your ark. You can find your Basra. You you can do whatever it is that is necessary to overcome what is coming. And this is a part of your spiritual life is actually connecting with the Spirit. A lot of people don't believe that there is a Spirit. They don't believe that there is a spiritual reality that is behind the physical reality that they see. They only see the physical reality. I have to touch it. I have to feel it. Well, you know, there's Thomas was such a man, a doubting Thomas. But he, he was learning. God was patient. Christ was patient with him. But he will not strive with you forever. You have to realize that there is an actual spiritual. But... When you see that word ordinance, when you see that word law, you may need to know what the original inspired author meant by those things and not just go off of what the Pharisees and the boys of the creed are telling you. And how do you know who to listen to? Well, you're supposed to listen to the Holy Spirit. You're not even supposed to listen to me. I mean, you can listen to me. You can listen to anybody. I'm not restricting you. But... All I can give you is knowledge and information. And you take that knowledge and information, that's from the tree of knowledge. The only thing that's going to help you decipher what knowledge to adhere to and what it means and how you should adhere to it is the tree of life, which is the Holy Spirit. And so how do you get to the Holy Spirit? Well, that's what Moses is trying to impart to you. Is The first thing you have to do is Stop depending on legal charity from men who exercise authority one over the other. Start looking to create an alternative system based on faith, based on hope, based on charity, which is love. Because you're not going to be free till you set your neighbors free. The reason you're in bondage is because you put your brother in bondage. You you tax your neighbor to get free stuff, to free bread, free health care. Free schooling. Free all kinds of stuff. The, I remember years ago they wanted to build a health clinic in North Lake County. And they approached me on it. And they they didn't have any idea what they were doing. Uh, you know, as far as building and everything, It's mostly women who wanted to do it. There were a few men involved. But I, I knew how to build things. I knew how to draw plans. I knew how to do all this stuff. And so I went to several of the meetings. And we we're thinking of ways to build this health clinic. And one guy stood up. He's still kind of an arch. <laughs> I mean, he's he's not really my enemy, but uh, he's still going toe to toe with uh, with uh, people of our family that uh, have a different view of life. He said, "We have to put this on the tax rolls. Everybody knows that we'll have to put this on the tax rolls to get this built." And I, I stood up and I said, if you want to put it on the tax rolls, I can't help you anymore. I can help you build this. I will come and pound the nails and saw the boards. I will design it. I will help you do it. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to force my neighbor to build this. That would be unchristian. I'm not going to go to men who exercise authority one over the other and say, will you take money away from all my neighbors so that we can have a health clinic here? That would be Antichrist. And I told this to several of the people. Some of them just got an absolutely stupefied look. <laughs> and some of them just, just played denial. Well, I heard yesterday they've eventually built a health clinic. It's closing. Because <laughs> nobody hardly uses it. Nobody cares about it. It all came from tax dollars. Nobody had to sacrifice to build it, which takes us back to what I talked about at the beginning of the program sacrifice is what draws you near success. It's free will sacrifice is an investment in your neighbor, an investment in the convalescent home, an investment in the health clinic. Then it would still be open because you would have invested in it. But no, you just put it on the tax rolls and now it's closing its doors. It won't be there anymore. So this is... I I predicted it. (laughs) How did I predict it? Because I understand the law of nature and nature's God according to what the Holy Spirit tells me. So so that's what Moses is going to be trying to teach the people. But he wants them to have this memorial. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites. You'll need this. You'll need to understand how this law of nature works. That thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all the, that openeth the matrix. This is the firstborn again. And every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast, hast, the males shall be the Lord's. So the firstborn males shall be the Lord's. So that means you have to sacrifice them. And he goes on to say in verse 13, and every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb, and if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck, and all the firstborn of man amongst thy children shalt thou redeem. So when the firstborn of your children and the firstborn ass, you don't sacrifice them, you don't kill them, you don't serve them on the altars of your you sacrifice the lamb and that lamb will be eaten by the needy of your society by the poor of your society by those people who don't have enough you'll be sharing with them so you don't have to kill i mean you don't want to eat the donkey you 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 will that you'll kill a lamb and you can keep the donkey and use the donkey as a A beast of burden. It doesn't have a cleft hoof anyway. You're not supposed to eat the donkey. But you don't want that donkey's worth more alive than as a meal. So you redeem it by killing a lamb instead. You don't kill your son. You redeem him. So this has created a flow of gifts... To the altars, the priesthood of that society. They had a priesthood already, they were already organized. They had one back in Goshen, they have one now. Aaron was part of that priesthood. It's it's going to be refined more, and we'll see that in subsequent chapters. But now they're going to have a flow of food to go in to take care of those that don't have enough. Because you got the poor, you got the elderly, you got the disenfranchised, you got the crippled. You're taking everybody. Some people are not wealthy and they're going to have needs and you're going to share with them and you'll have something to share with them because every newborn there's going to be another lamb to share. So everybody's going to celebrate every newborn because they know there's going to be a feast. (laughs) They know there's going to be meat to share. Everybody's going to be happy. Everybody's going to be happy for you because you just had another baby. Nowadays, oh, it's bad. You're overpopulating. Of course, you're not overpopulating anymore. We're facing population collapse now. Verse 14, And it shall be when thy son ask thee in time to come, saying, What is this that thou shalt say unto him, By strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of bondage? Uh, Is this another one of those deals where he repeats and then he says so many words and then he repeats? Well, I'll let you do that math. Verse 15. And it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly... And the word there is kasha. Remember, there were three words, so I have it there. If you're looking at preparing you, you can see that. Let us go that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. So this whole ritual is not only supplying for the needy. It's also a ritual to help you remember what happened. Now, let's go back real quick to look at this. We won't go into great detail. We'll we'll save it for later. But it says, The Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Well, this is why I asked you, when a guy jumps off a building and he hits the sidewalk, what killed him? The gravity? God created gravity. So I guess God killed him. Right? You could say, the existing one, Yahweh, Yahweh, This existing law, this uh, this existing God of nature that created gravity, slew all the people who jumped off the building and splatted on the sidewalk. He's he's he killed them. He slew them, right? No, he didn't slew. They jumped off the building. Now all the people of Egypt were warned. You you need, you know, we've already shown you nine amazing events. You've had this contract. Here's the Israelites. They're getting through this, these plagues. One plague after another, they're coming out smelling like a rose. They had water to drink. They, they didn't get pestered by frogs. They didn't get the gnats. They didn't. Their animals weren't killed by the hail. Their, their plants weren't even destroyed. Their crops weren't even destroyed by the hail. For some strange reason, the wind must have blown the hail somewhere else. There seems to be somebody controlling the wind here. Uh, we'll see that later. What on earth? Did God slay those firstborn? I mean, that's the way you read it. Cause you're not reading it in the Hebrew. Or did the existing laws of nature, something happen that the firstborn were dying, which could have been avoided had they listened to Moses, who was sent by God so that they didn't all have to die? Did God harden the heart of the Pharaoh? We've gone through that. No, the, the Pharaoh dug his heels in because he was so full of pride and vanity. He he did not want to let the people go. You have to remember they had been contemplating and already aborting the male children and, and oppressing the people. They were all for that. So wouldn't it follow according to the law of nature that they would be oppressed? What did Moses say when when the Pharaoh said, "If I see you again, you you're going to die. You and your brother are going to die." I'm going to kill you. He put death on the table. And all the people who followed him put death on the table. If they had followed Moses because there were Egyptians who followed Moses, probably put the blood on their doors too. They didn't die. Now exactly what was happening, we'll have to go into that that's on a need to know basis. <laughs> Why some people died and some people didn't. But don't go blaming it on God because you jumped off the building. Because you followed Hitler. Don't blame that. You know, what's coming in the Ukraine, don't blame that on God. Those are your choices. You put Biden into power. You say, well, I didn't vote for him. Why are you even in a democracy? But we won't go there. So anyway... This is all to be a memorial, and it shall be for a token, upon thine hand, and for a frontlet between thine eyes, for by the strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. So again, there's that reference to the frontlet between your eyes and your hand, the strength of hand of the Lord, uh, and upon thine hand, what? what is that connection? We'll have to get into that later, and we will. But uh, I'm just setting you up. Verse 17. And it came to pass when the Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest preadventure. The people repent when they, you know, have a change of mind when they see war and they return to Egypt. If we went that way, they'd all turn chicken and run. He says, I'm going to take them down so they actually get entangled in the wilderness. (laughs) So I'm going to get them stuck down there on the shores of the Red Sea. So God still has, has a plan in here. And, of course, this is all written by Moses. So Moses is putting this down. You know, it's not like God's up there like, see, if we go this way and, and then I think I'll put them over here. No. It, we're all on the chessboard of creation. We're all, whether we like it or not, gonna go by the rules of the law of nature and nature's God. And these things are already set in motion. Some people step back far enough that they can see the patterns. Moses could see the patterns and he kept going back to God and God showed him the pattern, show him what to say, show him how to say it. And then he was able to lead these people out to freedom. Although some people would probably argue whether they went to freedom or not. But he was trying to show them how the law of nature can set you free. And because God can set you free through the law of nature and nature's God. But you have to understand how it works. And, of course, we've made several references to that. Verse 18, But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up, harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you, so he he told them already that you know, Joseph, way back, that this was going to all take place. How did he know that? You know He said, well, Moses said that we don't know that he really knew that. Well, I think he really knew that, because I've seen things far off. <laughs> I think that's really a possibility, but if you haven't either, maybe you'll be kind of the doubting Thomas. Okay, that's fine. We'll 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 see what what comes of your doubt and what comes of my faith. Twenty, and they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham, in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud of a cloud. To lead them the way and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. And in verse 22, he took not away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And I'll ask this question more than once. Is, are there two pillars? are there one pillar that looks two different ways? In the daytime, it looks like a cloud. At the nighttime, it looks like something burning, glowing. And then what is it? Well, they don't really tell you, but I've made references in some of these studies because they're describing something that's up in the air and there's evidently, we'll see eventually where, you know, Moses goes up on, on a hill, pinnacle and... And this thing comes over and like a door opens up in it and Moses talks to somebody inside. And But we have this description of a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire and you can see all kinds of renditions of what that's supposed to look like. I have a painting up there. I think it's a painting. Uh, Maybe it's from the movie Moses or the movie Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. I don't know kind of looks like his outfit but I can't see his face but anyway. I put a picture up there and it shows this column of fire, you know, whirlwind of fire. That may not be what it looked like at all. But that's not important. Any more that it's important that you get all the yeast out of your house during Passover. That's not important except as a remembrance you can do it as a ritual. That's fine. I'm I'm perfectly okay with that. But if you don't get the cruelty And oppression. And the violence. Out of your house too. You haven't got all the yeast out of your house. So you've got all the fleshman's yeast out of your house. You haven't done anything. Because you you haven't done the whole thing. So you got to get the cruelty out too. And then the idea of sanctifying the firstborn. To remind us of the fact that. This is life and death. And, And it goes. You know like. I have the the normal word for bread is lechem, which is lamad chet mem. But in in the verse three, we see. Remember that God's hand brought you out of the house of bondage of Egypt, where there was cruelty and violence. So there shall be no leavened bread. Well, the which is again since that word. Chet uh, Mim Tzedek can refer to cruelty or grievousness. That is really what we need to be getting out of our houses and out of our hearts. The same as circumcision. Uh, a lot of people are uh, going to say, well, circumcision, uh, just, that's terrible, you know, you're cutting flesh and all this stuff. Moses said it's the circumcision of the heart that's really important. It's not the circumcision of the flesh. It's the circumcision of the heart. And now there's there's a reason for the circumcision of the flesh, too. But if you don't have the circumcision of the heart, you got nothing. If you have the circumcision of the heart and you don't have the circumcision of the flesh, well, you may not be able to get to sit down with Orthodox Jews, but you can sit down with us. Because <laughs> we know what's really important is not the ritual that the external sign but the internal change in your heart and in your mind so you need that circumcision of the heart and nobody has to reach in with a scalpel and cut that out and if you if you don't get the circumcision of the heart you're liable to end up with myocarditis you you may end up with uh blood clots in your heart. <laughs> because you didn't get the circumcision of the heart. You weren't eating of the tree of the spirit. Uh, of life. You were eating of the tree of knowledge. And somebody manipulated the knowledge. They censored the truth. So you couldn't hear the truth. And delivered you back into the death. So that literally. Which is if you go to Hosea and everything. your The wombs of your daughters may dry up and they may become infertile. And, and and you can blame it on God, but the reality is because you rejected God, things came about to make this happen that you you you're facing population collapse. So, if you're going to go into chapter 14, we need to learn the lessons of what the leaven was. Why you're doing these rituals and not unmoor the ritual from its meaning and turn it into some impure religion where you're dependent upon public religion, public welfare, instead of welfare by faith, hope, and charity. But we'll have to talk about that later. Until then, I can say peace upon your house and may God be with you. Join us on the network.